At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the wobbly stock market. Is this just a simple correction or is a bigger meltdown in the cards? We debate that today with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour are Steve Weiss, John Ajarian, Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth, Jenny Harrington, the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management, and Courtney Gibson, the president of Loop Capital Markets. Nice to see everybody with us today. Let's begin with stocks pacing for their fourth straight down week. Yes, there's green across the board, but it has been a wobbly stock market to say the least. The Dow right now is basically flat. There's the S&P up a quarter. Tech is outperforming today. Steve Weiss, I look at the notes from all of you today, and it sounds like you're growing more and more cautious on where we are and, more importantly, where you think we could go. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I've been raising cash. I've been consolidating positions. uh, And my thinking is pretty simple, that uh, we're going to get a vaccine. The timing's uncertain, but assume it's by the end of the year. But it's not going to be distributed on a mass basis until next year. In the interim, we have something that's much more potent for the headlines, and that's the election. And if you take a look at what happened in 2004 with Gore Bush, the market, the election wasn't decided until mid-December. From election day to mid-December, the stock traded down 8.4%. So we've got a market on steroids. I think you can continue to see issues in the market from trade policies coming out of the administration, which is really gutting the technology sector, which has been leading the market, we saw more today. They want to call the CEOs from Google and Facebook down to D.C. again. So that is the current administration's platform. Let's get tough on trade. Let's get tough on tech. So it's been disastrous or could be disastrous going forward. Okay. Then when you take a look at valuations, uh, you know, they're, they're very vulnerable here. So to me, if I could be 100% cash, I'd probably be that going into the election. The one caution that I have is that there is some movement on a stimulus bill, and that could give you a nice pop right. to the upside so, and overcome what I've said in, in the interim. So, Court, I mean, I feel like we have a debate set up here. You know, Weiss is, is, is cautious, if not downright negative, on the market. Said he could, if he could be 100% cash right now, he would be. Um, is that your, your point of view as well, or, or are you not as worried about where we are and where you think we could go? You know, I think, um, first of all, hey, Scott, it's been so long. I've missed you. Um, I wanted to, you know, it's funny because Steve and I sometimes are on the same side and sometimes we're not. I think here, though, the difference might be time horizon. So for me personally, I have been picking up. I've been buying a lot of names that I like, some that I didn't buy uh, when I was actually recommending that that the viewers should buy. And so I'm buying them lower than hopefully they did. Um, But my time horizon is much longer. I can sit on many of these names for as long as I want to. 
which is different, right? It's funny, I was talking to my head of global trading at Loop Capital today, Chris Levin, and he actually knew the exact same way that Steve does. He said if he could, you know, keep a ton of dry powder and over the next six weeks pick up um, on some dips, he would. I personally have been picking up on the dips of the past on some of these tech names that I love that have been just really beat up, and many of them have come back pretty substantially. Some I didn't get as low as I would have liked. Some I kind of paced myself in, but I even bought Apple again this morning. Right. Scott. So, you know, I think it's a matter of where you are, what your risk tolerance is, hey, cool. how you're using your capital. Yep. I'm gonna, we're having a little bit of an issue, it sounds to me, like with, with your microphone. Let us work on that um, for, for a second. We'll try and come back to you. Um, John Ajarian, you've got technical damage too, right? You've got 10 of 11 S&P sectors trading below their 50-day moving averages. That's concerning to some. You've got four sectors trading below their 200-day moving averages. So if you put everything into context, is this just a garden variety correction that's finding a bottom or close to it, or are we in danger of a larger meltdown for stocks? Um, Scott, I, I think what we're looking at right now is just that we've got uh, a, a, we had a 10% rally from the June lows very, very quickly. And uh, the reason for that, of course, was uh, talk about a vaccine. To Stephen's point, we, none of us really think the vaccine's going to be here in quantities before year end. Um, and for that reason, I think some of that uh, bloom was off the rose a little bit. Uh, and the lift that it provided was virtually vanished over the preceding three weeks of uh, uh, September. So now what I'm looking for, Scott, is mm -hmm. I think many of these stocks, I'm right there with Courtney, I'm a shopper. I'm not a seller at these levels. I'm a shopper and I'm a buyer. Um, so I've been buying a host of stocks, bought more Apple, as I told you yesterday. Um, today we had unusual activity in Apple yet again. 110 strikes for next week, 112.50 strikes for next week, 115 strikes for next week and so forth, Scott. Same thing in Microsoft, big buying in Microsoft. So my hat's off to Jim Labenthal, who was prescient with his buying yesterday. A lot of institutional buying of upside calls in Microsoft. So when I'm seeing things like that, Scott, um, I'm not saying Steve's wrong. He, you know, people should always be prudent and there's always risk in investment. But I see more reward to the upside after mm -hmm. this 10% correction then I see another 10% downside. All right, um, Jenny, Shannon, um, you guys have to settle this. I've got buyers, I've got sellers. <laughs> Shannon, what, what do you want to do in the market? What, what would you advise people to do? I think caution in the very near term is probably warranted. Uh, I think July and August were the situation where we had trouble ahead and we had trouble behind. And the Fed continued to drive the train. And now what's happened is that I think in July and August, we had such a great rally in the equity market because we realized that it wasn't going to be as bad as what we had experienced in March and April. But now we're actually facing some of the challenges that all of us had anticipated that we would be worried about coming into 2020. And so this next six week period, and Scott, you know that I'm not a, a short term investor to this, to this magnitude, but I think the next six weeks are gonna be fairly volatile. And so rebalancing, looking at your overall asset allocation, and perhaps adding to names that you wanna hold for the longer term. That may include, to John's point, and to what Jim has been doing, adding to some of these technology names if you don't have full positions in them. But I think being cautious and waiting for your opportunity over the course of the next six weeks makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, that's interesting. Waiting for your opportunity over the next six weeks. I mean, what, what's the opportunity? How, how are you going to know you have the opportunity? Are you, you suggesting that over the next six weeks you're going to get so much more volatility, you could get a larger downdraft in, in the market? Help me understand the point I you're trying to make. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that we, we're set up for, particularly in the NASDAQ, I mean, I think we're down, you know, close to 10% this month. I think we could see another, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent in the NASDAQ on, on any given week. And I think what's going to happen is that you are going to see some of these flows, and I know we're going to talk about the flows, but we're going to see some of these retail investors coming back out of the market, having enjoyed a 12% plus upside in the S&P 500 over the, the two-month period in July and August. And I think institutional investors are going to continue to look at this as an opportunity to rebalance. I'm just not sure they do it before 930, Scott. Um, but history has shown that moving into an election and post-election, those are good times to be adding to your exposure in the equity market. We may have more muted returns this time around, given the gains that we've already seen, but I think that that will still hold from a seasonal and historical perspective. Yeah, Jenny? Right, so, so I'm not gonna add much clarity because I feel like I'm an amalgamation of everything that everyone said. So first of all, on Steve's point, he said, you know, we might be down between, we might be down between November and December, 8.4%, that's what history dictated. But he also said, he would be in cash if he could, but he can't. So I presume that people can't be in cash because they have locked in long-term capital gains, dividend income that they're relying on. So I'm a bit in that camp where I can't. I also am in the John and Courtney camp where I'm a shopper right now, and I'm, but, but I'm like Shannon in that I'm a cautious shopper. So you know me, I don't buy indexes and I don't buy funds, but I do buy individual stocks. And I think Shannon's exactly right. There will be a lot of movement between now and the next six weeks, maybe now in the next 10 or 12 weeks if it draws out a little bit longer. And on those big movements, we're going to see pockets of opportunity. And because I'm long-term, I don't really care if there's an 8% downdraft between November and December. My time horizon is way out. So I'm gonna take advantage of those pockets, put buy, buy stocks, buy things that I've been waiting for, add to positions that I like when I get opportunities to just buy them straight up cheaper. So, the, so the, this classic sort of <laughs> there's debate. There's something clarifying. Yeah, yeah the, the classic debate mm -hmm. can, can be seen in, in tech, right? Um, between mm -hmm. Courtney and Steve. Courtney, I, I think we're, we're okay with your mic now, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it again. Um, you All bought right. Square, whereas okay. Weiss yes. sold Peloton. Um, I think those buys and sells are absolutely representative of a larger point in how both of you feel about the market right now. Why buy Square here? I mean, look, there, there are a number of these tech stocks uh, yep. that ran up a lot, Square among them. Well, I, for me, Scott, it's twofold, right? And I'm going to go back to where I started. And I'm not sure if we, we talked a little about this, but so on our trading desk, right, where we have large, very large institutional investors, a lot of quant funds and fundamental guys that trade, on the quant side, we did see a lot of selling in tech, right? And that's what you would expect looking at where the 20-day and the 50-day moving averages have been, how they've been kind of converging at this point. So there are some technical movements that would cause some of the quantitative managers to be making moves. Our fundamental managers, however, are picking up on these dips. I'm personally picking up. I have a much longer time horizon. I don't have to sell it tomorrow. I could be 100% in cash personally, and I could be 100% invested. With Square, I've liked this name, Scott. I've been talking about it for months. I wish I would have eaten my own cooking, as they like to say, and bought it back when I was talking about it around 80, right? 
But it dipped down. It had jumped up to 150 something. I didn't touch it. It came down to 135. I picked it up. I've continued to trickle in. And I think today, I'm not sure where it is. It might be around 154-ish, I think, when I looked before the show. But it's almost 156. All right. Well, there you go. Right. And I like this name, weather. And, you know, people talk about it's the stay at home trade. It's the COVID trade, the digitization. This is a name that's going to continue to move forward. Look at what they've done with Cash App. The personal trading trend is not going to go away when people start going back to the office. They're going to be doing it on their lunch break because nobody's going to be trading in the middle of, of, of working. Right. They're going to do it on their lunch break, on their way to work, on the way home from work. Cash App and Square are going to be so well positioned, whether it's into the end of this year or two, three years down the line, Scott. So that's why I personally bought it. And I know why Weiss would have sold Peloton, but I'll let him answer that question, too. Yeah, Weiss, go ahead. So I didn't just, I wasn't just a pure sell of everything. When I said I consolidated positions, I added to some that, that got beaten up. I sold others. Uh, I added to Taiwan Semi. It didn't get very beaten up, it traded off a little, but it showed me during the market turbulence that it's got a very strong base. I sold Peloton because it's had a meteoric rise. I love it as a growth stock, but to me, that is one of the more vulnerable names in a downturn because it's got such a retail component to it, number one, and number two, it's a hot stock. The story's intact, they've exceeded expectations, there may be some challenges in terms of production going forward because demand is so great, particularly going to the treadmill, but I like it longer term. I believe I'll be able to buy that back cheaper. If I can't, well, then it was a good stock for me anyway. I also Lululemon. Now, Lulu, when we came on, on air, despite the markets moving higher, is, uh, is down on the day, and it's been acting terribly. Now, it's 50 times earnings on a retailer. And now, I feel like a real idiot because I owned it at 60 times earnings when it was 400, even though I came on the show and said, I'm being too greedy here, I didn't list myself. But I don't know, and this is a question that's going to have to be answered in a lot of stocks going forward, how much of that demand has been pulled forward? So are people going to buy with the same, you know, with the same both hands and grabbing everything online you better, they have for Lulu? You better get up the, the, the no. paper, White, because, I mean, there's a long list of those stocks where you could have the very similar conversation Absolutely. about that. Therein lies one of the issues with the market right now and how, you know, people may not be sure of, of how to view the stocks that they own because they're not sure how much was pulled forward in the, the DocuSigns, the Teladocs, the Zooms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the apples. Yeah, the apples, too. Um, it makes it hard. Mm -hmm. it, it makes it hard to figure out exactly what to do. It's interesting that, that you're making the, the moves that you are. And, oh, by the way, um, there is some interesting data about the, the amount of outflows from, from the market mm -hmm. that you're having right now. Bank of America's flow show, third largest ever outflows for U.S. stocks. Um, Reuters also having a story that uh, investors pulled $26 billion out of equity funds in, the, uh, in this week. So that's the, th the third biggest outflow ever um, from the asset class. Um, feels like people definitely, what? Jenny, are, are getting nervous, are getting nervous, right? 39 days until the election. So if you're going to start taking some things out of the market, now appears to be the time that, that people are willing to do that. Right. And so over the last, I'd say, two months, every single client conversation that I've had has been has had a huge component, if not been entirely based on the election. And for me, I have clients 
there's clearly a lot in the middle, but I have a lot who are on either extreme of fear of that. So I think that there is a lot of anxiety and fear coming in. Scott, you said something really interesting that I wrote down. You talked about pulling it forward, and I think that's critical too. And as I think about the concept of what's been pulled forward up until now or up until a couple weeks ago when, when the S&P peaked, I think it's interesting because you can think about a company like Apple where perhaps a lot of iPhone sales and iPad sales and laptop sales were pulled forward as everyone needed to go to school at home and work from home. Will that create a hole later? And then you can think about things like DocuSign and Peloton and think about has that been pulled forward? Maybe not in terms of sales as much, maybe yes, but also in terms of money that's flowed into these share prices. And so when we look at some of the valuations, I would say that not only were revenues pulled forward, but people's expectations for the companies were pulled forward and mushed into the, mushed into the share price. Um, and we've got some pretty highly elevated levels. So I look at that and I look at the fear that's going on with the election and I just, I think we're in for a lot of bumpiness, which in my case, I never really hate too much. You know, I hate it superficially, but I love it because it creates opportunity. Yeah. You can actually buy stocks at really great prices. Sure doesn't feel good though, feels so, awful. So Shannon, UBS today says it's not the time to tell, uh, sell tech. Uh, we don't think it's time to sell the sector or that it's in, in bubble territory. Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty today is out with a note on Apple. Time to buy it, she says. Positive Apple data points run counter to recent stock performance, creating a compelling entry point ahead of Apple's upcoming iPhone launch. Um, yes. So, you know, you can take Apple, you can take tech as a whole. What do you make of what UBS is saying and also Katie Huberty? Yes, we note that Apple's come down a lot, but it's created an entry point. Yeah, I think it's down, what, you know, 18, 19% from the high um, in September, Scott, Apple. And so, you know, I, I, I agree. I think that there's a differentiation, too, between all of tech and the tech that I think folks should be a little bit concerned about as far as the sustainability of the growth that they've had. And you, and you mentioned some of those names earlier, like Zoom. I think the other problem here is that these flows out of stocks, and a lot of them have come out of the, the large cap tech names over the last week, they're going to places that are not long-term good sources for the, or, or good uh, outcomes for those capitals. So if you think about bonds, cash, and gold. Going into next year, if we actually see inflation, it does feel like that we're going to have some upward pressure there. That, you know, those asset classes are not going to deliver the returns that people are looking for. And so if you go back to big tech, a lot of those companies pay a dividend. Uh, a lot of those companies are sustainable and have shown that they're going to continue to reinvest in their businesses to grow over the next couple of years. So again, what we come back to is we need to see more of a rotation out of tech and into other equity sectors. If we're seeing the rotation out of tech because you're seeing it out of the indices because we're seeing that fear component rise, that's not healthy for the market either. And I think what we saw that that's what we saw last week, but I continue to think that owning large cap tech with, you know, good out, you know, a good outlook for continued revenue growth and innovation over the next couple of years, adding to that at any point in this period, I think is still going to be a good trade. John, you think this this to, to exactly what Shannon was talking about. Some of them we we did have a broadening of the of the rally before we had this this pullback and th this wobble um, that, that, that I was talking about. Um, do you think it was mm -hmm. a head fake? Because it, it sure seems to be that this idea that all of a sudden cyclical stocks and uh, industrials, materials, and some of these other areas were going to really catch a nice bid um, may not play out because there are just too many questions about where we are with the virus. You're coming into a period where you're already seeing spikes in in several places around the country, in Europe, et cetera. How do you view it? 
Well, um, most of the materials uh, plays that we're seeing right now, Scott, are well out into January of 2021. In other words, most of them are not in the shorter term. Um, and that's probably because people view the potential for an infrastructure program by either president uh, that goes in in 2021 as being likely. And I certainly am in that camp. But um, as far as the $26 billion that you cited, Bank America, in their note, as well as some others have said that these flows out of the market, that's one of the things that makes me enthusiastic about us here. And just as I said at the top, after a 10% correction and seeing all that money coming out, um, if that money were coming in during that correction, I wouldn't be that interested. But the fact that that money was exiting the markets here, Scott, doesn't mean that every dollar that's on the sideline has to come back in, but there's going to be a lot of FOMO, um, you know, the fear of missing out for folks if we start <laughs> seeing what we're already starting to see in Microsoft, um, in Zoom with that big move today, um, as well as in Apple. I mean, those kind of stocks. And to Steve's Peloton, man, a $7 rally today, that, that's looking pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the activity that you, you said yeah, you saw, Scott. too, and, and hang on, Steve, the activity, John, that you said you saw in, in Apple and Microsoft um, could represent a point of view that, that the, the people on the other end of those trades don't believe the hype in value, right? That it's tech that's going to continue to catch mm -hmm. the bids. Yep, especially in the short term, Scott. Again, uh, those infrastructure plays, those materials and industrials, that's way out in January. Most of that option activity, and that's why we like it so much, is because the options, they tell you not just strike price, but time frame. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing a lot of these tech plays, again, DocuSign, um, Zoom, Apple, Microsoft, almost all of that, Scott, is in the short term. They're looking for short-term pops, of five to seven percent in many of those names and some of them are doing it today yeah court you bought apple you bought apple I, scott I, again i've bought a lot of things right and so i i am in agreement with my <laughs> chicago buddy mr john um as as oftentimes i, I like to be in the camp with smart people courtney um, called the bottom those that's what she's just happening here courtney's called no, the bottom but those, the, 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 the flows that's in the that's in the rear view mirror right and so again i want to buy when people are scared right that's when you want to buy you unless you think that we're going to go into some catastrophic situation where the entire market's going to bottom out and that tech is going to transition and i'm going to give you a, a sound bite here tech is a consumer staple at this point so we can sit and pretend that these tech names are going away there's no way an apple is going away microsoft these names i you know whether you believe that this next sales cycle is going to be big or if everybody already bought their iPhones. I know I haven't. I'm looking forward to this next cycle. I'm sitting here on my phone wishing that they would hurry up and roll it out, right? So I think people are going to continue to want to buy, spend. We're going to see these tech companies continuing to innovate, and they're going to continue to be core parts of our lives. So it is a question of which name you want to be in for the long term. But to say, I'm coming out of tech, that's, 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 that's craziness. That's crazy talk. No. You bought more Citigroup. I did. I like financials. I think that it's been oversold, right? So the same way that we're seeing home builders come back, unless everybody's buying their new house with cash, which I don't think people are, there's a reason these rates are low. These guys are overwhelmed with people looking to refi, which isn't a good thing. Yes, their, their margins are going to come down with the refinancing, but people are buying new houses. Citibank has a trading desk that with this volatility is going to boom. 
They're taking positions in the stock market. They're taking positions on the bond side. Their clients are trading. So you've got to think about the totality of these businesses. I added to some other financials as well, but more on the alternative asset management play, which, again, I've continued to talk about. Um, so, you know, I am picking up when everyone else is kind of running away, and I'm picking up in both growth growthy names in the tech sector, and I'm picking up in financials where I think these guys are going to continue to provide tremendous returns and, and knock out earnings on the back end. So, um, yeah, that's where I am. Weiss, I know you wanted in. Yeah, so look, you know, I'm finding values too. I bought, I added to XBO Logistics. Uh, that stock's down more than 20% from a recent high. I added to UPS because they're involved in what Courtney's talking about. Tech is not done. Tech is still the way to go. If you take a look at the market, how it performed on Tuesday, you had tech outperforming the S&P by a factor of two to one. You're seeing the same thing today. So tech is the place to go. The economy is weakening. We saw that in durable goods orders today. We're coming into cold weather where the service industries are going to be laying off or firing more people. The news stories about major hotels in New York City closing for good. That's not going away. So look, so I think the economy is going to be weaker and tech's going to cover it, but you also have to be conscious of valuations. So Microsoft to me is a phenomenal name. Uh, it's a very large position for me. I'd love to add to that. I just think I'll get a better opportunity to add to these stocks. So Courtney and I don't really disagree. And the outflow of funds actually is, as they say from Chicago, a positive thing. Unless the momentum <laughs> continues, which it could with the weak-handed Robinhood traders out there who don't really know what it is to see a market go down for an extended period of time. Yeah, Jenny, you bought Interpublic. Maybe more than one day. You bought Interpublic. Um, you must think that the economy right. and the ad market is going to improve in, in fairly short order? I would not say in fairly short order. What we think is that there will not be a long-term extended global malaise. And what the shares of Interpublic, which is one of the big advertising holding companies, is reflecting is that things are going to be terrible, not just in the short term, but also in the very long term. So we run a weekly screen. And interestingly, Courtney, Citigroup's starting to show up on the screen very, very positively. I don't own it. We're not even starting the research process. But it was interesting how, how good it's been looking on our screen. So we always start with the financials. And on Interpublic Group, you've got a company that is likely to have earnings grow off of this year's low level by over 20% next year. Meanwhile, it's trading at nine and a half times. To your point, Steve, earlier, it's easy to find things that are at a value um, or trading at a value to where they should be. And it's got a 6.1%, actually right now, a 6.2% dividend yield. So there's, this, is an, this is an interesting company where it's easy to throw stereotypes on it. It's easy to throw biases on it. And once you start to dig down, you find that it's a very resilient, very well-diversified business model. In fact, two of their top 10 clients are Amazon and Google. So yay, maybe I'll finally make some money off of those. Um, but their top 10 clients are companies that are thriving. They also include MasterCard and Verizon. They're, they're doing okay. And so if you don't believe that in a year from now, we're going to be in the same miserable state that we're in with, every, with all of life and all of business being weird, then this is a really, really great company to look at. Big, big yield, just like you like, uh, six and a quarter big percent. Yield. Yeah. A little bit and, more for interpublic. And you know me, I don't, I don't buy things often. Like the last two stocks I bought were in June. The last two stocks before that I bought were in May. So it really takes a lot and takes a lot of long-term research to get to the point where I'm comfortable buying. Um, and this one was just kind of screaming at us for a while. Right. Um, and I think, I think with the pullback, 
this was down almost 20% too in the last couple weeks. So we were able to get in at a really great price. All right. Well, you talk about it a little more. It may actually go positive. It's right. Uh, it's moving back and it's unchanged right now. <laughs> All right. We'll take well, a quick break. I know. I know. <laughs> we, I'm going to take a quick break. Hold your thought. I'll get you on the other side. The reopening trade got a big upgrade today. The cruise lines are surging on a bullish call, but should you get on board? We'll debate that in our call of the day. We're back in two minutes. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. We're back. Let's get to headlines with Sue Herrera. Hi, Sue. Hello, Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Breonna Taylor's family and their lawyer, Ben Crump, demanding the Kentucky Attorney General release transcripts from the grand jury, which did not charge any of the officers involved in Taylor's death. Did he present any evidence on Breonna Taylor's behalf? Or did he make a unilateral decision to put his thumb on the scales of justice. Two former leaders of a Massachusetts veterans home have been charged after at least 76 COVID deaths at that facility. It is believed to be the nation's first criminal case brought against nursing home officials during the pandemic. And for the second day in a row, Britain is reporting a record number of new COVID-19 infections with nearly 6,900 cases. Scott, you are up to date. I'll send it back to you. All right. We appreciate that, Sue. Thank you very much. Sue Herrera. I mentioned these bullish calls we got today on the cruise lines. Barclays has upgraded Carnival, Norwegian and Royal Caribbean all to overweight. Uh, This is a big call considering um, where we are. Just coming off that story that Sue ended her report with, John Najarian, about this pickup in cases Mm -hmm. in the UK. We've got a pickup in cases in a number of different places. Um, You own Carnival? I've owned Carnival for a while here, Scott. Um, I added to it on this Barclays call. I also bought Norwegian Cruise Lines. And one of the reasons here, Scott, was that when you look at the bonds, for instance, those Carnival bonds that were priced at 99 bucks with an 11 and a quarter percent coupon or something like that, um, they shot all the way through 112, maybe 115. Um, that that's been a while ago when those were issued i think that they announced that one back in april scott and i bought those as well and one of the reasons i bought them was i think our smart guy mark lazary was buying those bonds and he put me into those Mm -hmm. basically through Mm -hmm. his enthusiasm for it so i do think that they see a recovery scott when you price in armageddon which many of these in the uh, travel industry stocks uh, whether it's airlines cruise lines whether it's hotels and so forth, many folks 
have been basically priced to almost zero. And I think there's still value in many of their assets. They just sold two boats, Scott, Carnival did, um, which is in line with what they said that they would be doing. So they're getting rid of some of the less efficient older boats and, you know, holding on to the rest of their fleet. I think this is something that Barclays is right about, and that's why I was comfortable adding to it. Okay, so they go to $31 on Carnival from 18. They go to 26 from 17 on Norwegian. They go to 68 from 50 at Royal Caribbean. Those are all sizable target increases. Kramer, by the way, on Twitter earlier today called Norwegian, quote, best in show. Courtney, I'm calling the bottom Gibson. You bought more. You have to be given given the stocks that you're buying. You're telling us you bought. You have to be. You bought more Delta Airlines. I did buy more Delta too, but I also already own Delta, right? And so I do also believe that Delta is best in class, right? So if there's an airline that you're going to buy, it's that when they've done everything right. If you're flying an airline, you get on that plane and you feel really, really comfortable. Um, but even on the cruise lines, and I'll tell a little story if you have a second here. So my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, is one of those boomers. Well, you better say that, that about your mother-in-law. I do love her, though. I do love her. <laughs> I know, but you threw that in there. I, you know. And we all know why you threw that in there. Of course I do. I got I to live in my house. Um, but she's an amazing person. My point is, though, she's one of those boomers that when she retired, she went on an around-the-world cruise. She's already planned her cruise for next year, and we don't even know what the CDC is going to say on the 30th as it relates to reopening, right? She has a group of 50 boomers that she's been on cruises with that cannot wait. The pent-up demand is real. And candidly, if you just, and John just gave you all the fundamental reasons to be in these names, let me give you this. You get on one of those cruise ships, it's captive. They can go to an island that they own that, too, is captive. They have the ability to control the potential for leakage in and out of the um, cruise ships as it relates to keeping people healthy. Richard Fain, who I know incredibly well, doing an incredible job running that company, I know that when they decide and when the government decides that we can allow people back on these cruise ships again, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that people are safe and healthy. And so um, I don't own the name right now. I think Barclays is 100% right on the calls. The management team and leadership of these cruise companies are going to do everything they can to make sure that when people are allowed to go out, like my mother-in-law, they're going to be safe. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, if you get in these names, uh, John, once again, sir, hats off to you. You picked a good one, I think. All right, highs, of the, highs of the day on, on, on Delta. Weiss, maybe Thank you're too you, negative, Lord. Weiss. Maybe you're too negative. Maybe you should be looking at some of these reopen. <laughs> trades, maybe the cruise lines and the airlines, which you have no interest in being in. Why wasn't Delta, though? It sounds like he's still pretty fully invested. Yeah. When we get done worrying about COVID for cruise lines, we can just go back to worrying about Legionnaire disease on that. So those are pizza dishes, and they can't control them, what's going on there. So look, the difference between the cruise lines now and the airlines now, between now and pre-COVID, is that they leveraged all their assets, their gates, their mileage plans, everything. So as an equity holder, you virtually you have no protection. So you can't equate owning the debt that has all the protection with only the equity. So I look at the perspective, it's a gutsy call. Over a long, long term, it's probably going to be right. But I've got other places that'll be just as right, that'll make just as much money 
with protection as an equity holder. So I'm not playing there. In terms of the analyst, the analyst follows the airlines, follows the cruise ships. So they've got to come out with something. That's their perspective. It's not the perspective against the rest of the market, the market, the other 7,000 stocks. I've got that perspective. Cruise lines and airlines are not where I choose to be. Speculative plays, you can own a little, but major positions, that's not for me. Okay. All right, coming Unbalanced. up. What's that? It's balance, right? So I got my tech, I got my financials, and I've got my Delta Airlines. So, you know, Steve, I hear you loud and clear, but Delta is going to come back, and I can put it in my back pocket and, and, and wait, and just wait. All right, let me take a quick break. Coming Quality up, we have unusual activity with John Najeri, and a reminder as well, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back. All right. Unusual activity, Doc. Alcoa. I haven't talked about this one in a long time. No, uh, and it's not just a short-term earnings play either, Scott. Uh, this one's all the way out in January. With the stock here, an $11 stock, AA, uh, we note the 14 calls being pretty aggressively accumulated out in January. So this plays into some of those longer-term January-style plays, Scott, that we talked about top of the show. I bought these calls. I think they were trading for about 77 cents, Scott. I'll be in them in the neighborhood of two months, maybe a little bit longer, like the upside for the stock from 11 to 14. Okay, we'll keep our eye there, huh? down 46% year to date as well. All right, we'll step away again quickly, though, because coming up, our experts are ready to answer your questions, and you can send us now by video. We will play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We will be right back. Let's do it. Let's answer your questions. First up, another video question. It's for John and Courtney on Uber. My name is Josh from Rhode Island. I was wondering how you guys feel about adding some Uber calls for November 20th with this bill that might get lifted that allows them to be independent contractors again. Okay, Doc, you take that first. Since you're the man with the calls, then Court, you own the stock. You follow up, Doc. All right, uh, Scott, I have... uh those uh, 32 calls as well as 34 calls in Uber. So Josh, I'm already in exactly what you're talking about for this election, Prop 22, and I like the upside. I continue to see pretty good uh, speculation in upside calls. Nothing on the downside uh, puts in Uber. So 
I think that spells a positive outcome potentially. Okay, Court? Well, so I'm not actually playing that. Honestly, you know, it'll be great if I can get a pop around it, but I'm in this name for the long term because of what the management and the company has done and the long term prospects for the company. All we think about is like the ride hailing piece of this. I mean, they've done so many different things to diversify this business. Take a look, read at Loop Capital. We have a $40 price target on it. Think delivery, think package delivery, think their investments in DD and partnerships across the globe. I mean, they're just doing incredible things that I don't think are fully baked into the stock price. All right. Uh, Weiss to you from yeah, Phil. And Scott, yeah, by the way, go ahead. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Just go real ahead. quick. Um, that DD piece that they own is almost $7 billion at today's market prices. Um, they may sell some of that um, in Hong Kong later this year. That's manna from heaven for them. Okay. Good stuff. Thank you uh, for adding that. All right, Weiss, now to, to you from Phil in Washington, D.C. How much should I uh, cap speculate how much should I speculate on COVID pharma plays like Novavax, Pfizer, and Moderna? What do you think, Weiss? Well, first, I have a question for John and Courtney. When did dumpster diving become a professional sport in Chicago? I mean, I don't know what to really? put in the water, but I, I drink elsewhere. Really? Talking about, hey, hey, hey. In terms Let's of, bet a quarter, Steve. Let's bet a quarter. Hold on. So you're, you're talking, Weiss, about Uber? <laughs> I'm talking about Uber. I'm talking about the cruise lines. I'm Either it's happy pills or it's dumpster diving. But uh, I don't hey, know what hey, it is. Maybe hey, it's because the sports talk. teams don't let's do well. Let's talk later, Steve. Let's talk. Let's talk later, Steve. Okay. Y'all can fight okay. it out right, right now in, if in you want. Spec <laughs> you, can have, you can have it out right now. No, no, it's fine. You don't have a chance, Weiss. Right? So I'm just going to lay it look, out there right now. I, I don't. That's why I'm trying to back off it. And I want to know. I want to go to the COVID uh, vaccine question. All right. Look. Yes, exactly. Let's I give Phil what he came any for. Of these, yeah. Okay, Phil. Here you go. I wouldn't play any of these stocks for the COVID vaccine. I'm in Moderna because Moderna's got a new technology that, by the way, is the same technology that Pfizer's using. And if they get approval for the COVID vaccine, they've got a pipeline of 23 other potential drugs on the same technology that will make this probably one of the most valuable biotech companies in the world. So that's why I'm there. In terms of speculation, I don't think any more than 10% of anybody's portfolio should be in speculative stocks. Okay, Shannon to you, Lana, California, hold or sell Costco, which just had earnings. So what do you do now? Definitely hold the stock. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm one of the few people I know that doesn't have a Costco membership. And despite the fact that I they own the stock and I love the company, um, same source sales are very strong. Uh, most importantly, they're, this, they're, the sales were strong in areas like non-essentials, which have higher margin. And Costco is also doing a great job of balancing opening new stores along with wanting to retain um, the current subscriber base. So it's 91% for their renewals. So I think the balance between being very conservative about opening new stores and making sure that they're keeping their, um, their supply chains as clean and cheap as possible, and then being able to get this additional spend on things outside of food and, food and essentials, I think is, uh, is, is going to continue over the next several quarters. All right, last but not least, Jenny, another video question for you. This one on Cisco. Hey, Judge, I was hoping you might be able to ask your panel of experts there, what's been going on with Cisco? It's been on a free fall since the beginning of August. I noticed with a 14 times P.E. ratio and a 3.5% dividend, it's something that seems might be attractive. But am I missing something? Appreciate the question, Jeff. The best part is you got to ask the question. Jenny, what's the answer? <laughs> 
So we agree with Jeff that it, is, that it is attractive. And I think the reason for the free fall is that Cisco's networks are largely in office. So what happened starting in March is that a lot of companies, even like ours, pivoted away from thinking about everything in office and put all the focus on the cloud networking, not on the in-office mm -hmm. networking. But again, like, like our last conversation, if you believe that in a year and change from now or a year from now we're going to be in a more normal state, then Cisco should be a beneficiary and a very big beneficiary. And if you think about work from home, that doesn't mean everyone's going to work from home five days a week. It means that they might be in the office three days a week, work from home two, four days a week, work from home one. All of that argues very strongly for the continued huge need for in-office networking. So what you end up with is a stock that's cheap. And by the way, we own this in our discipline growth strategy. I have a mixed emotion because I kind of root for it to go a little lower so I can buy it in the dividend strategy too. But you do have a stock that's trading at 13 times earnings right now, generates $14 billion a year of free cash flow and has a 3.8% yield. It's hard to argue against that, plus the fact that management always seems to find a way to adjust to the current environment and continue to grow earnings. So really compelling to buy Cisco here. All right, good stuff. Thank you, everybody. The NASDAQ 100 down almost 10% this month. The key levels futures traders are watching now and delivering alpha. It is back for its 10th year on September 30th. That is next week. Our guests include Mary Erdos, Carla Harris, Chamath Palihapitiya, and many more. To learn more and register, please visit deliveringalpha.com. I'll see you in two minutes. Time for the futures outlook. Let's get a check on tech as we close out the month next week. The tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 falling more than 11% since early February, for, er, since its early September peak. Excuse me. Our next guest sees a recovery ahead. Let's bring in Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial, who said earlier this week he did not see a retest of the 200-day moving average. So he, like Courtney Gibson, appears to be calling a bottom in tech. Well, Judge, here we are again. This is a trader's paradise. Yes, there has been turmoil in tech. We've had every reason. We've had political. We've had pandemic. We've even had economic data to be concerned with. But to Courtney's point earlier, this by default continues to be the sector to track assets. So once again, I'm long-term optimistic and bullish on tech, but short-term. From a futures outlook perspective, I want to be a buyer here at 10850 Looking for a move higher, Judge, to 11100 But being mindful, we always like to use stops when trading futures. I have a stop just lower at 10725 So I'm risking 2500 bucks to make $5,000. But every reason, the exact way we see assets be attracted this week specifically, we continue to see this move higher. The trajectory is higher for tech. Have a good weekend. No fighting Irish this weekend, but that's okay. Hopefully again soon. Jeff Kilberg, that's we right. will talk to you again soon. Final trades are next. Missed the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. All right, welcome back. Have some moves from the investment committee I want to get to before we go today. Shannon, you bought Biotechni. Is that, is that the name of the company? That's correct. So this is a little bit of a smaller cap company, but for those of you out there, look at something like a Thermo Fisher and Waters. These are two competitors. Um, they make proteins and reagents um, for research. 
and 80% of their revenue is recurring and we anticipate that the end market for proteins and reagents and research is going to continue to grow exponentially and that they, due to the quality and specialization of their portfolio, are likely to continue to garner uh, greater market share. A right, little move there. We'll keep our eyes on the ticker symbol tech. And John Najarian, you bought William Hill and DraftKings. You're thinking about gambling. I am, Judge. <laughs> I'm already thinking about Sunday right now. Uh, <laughs> although college games would probably be pretty easy to, to, to be attracted to those as well. But yeah, this was because of Apollo and Caesars, Judge, um, and the fact that William Hill getting involved with those guys in DraftKings, I think that's a slam dunk. Okay. Football is back, baby. Yes, it is. Sorry. Yes, yeah, it I is. I know, your Bears are 2-0. Oh, My dominoes. So, uh, I hear you on that. Go look, 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 right. This is a Dolphin household. This okay. is a Dolphin let's, um, let's do final <laughs> trades. And the woman who's calling the bottom... Oh, God, here we go. ...goes first. I'm never going to let you live this down now. <laughs> if I could call the bottom, Scott, um, we would all be on a yacht somewhere. But what I will say is there's a lot You're of You're going to be on the cruise ship, right so now. I guess we are. I, right. I would be. I'd be <laughs> yeah. I, we'd have our own yacht. Um, but look, I can give you three names right now. I mean, let's talk about City. We can talk about J.P. Morgan and financials. We yeah. already know I love tech. But either one of those, you could pick Brookfield Asset Management. I think there are some real opportunities in these financial okay. names right now. Um, and there you have it. All right, good stuff. Have a great, uh, great weekend to you. Jenny, what do you have for us? Got to be quick for me, please. M my newest honey bun investment, Interpublic Group, again. Okay. I uh, appreciate that. Shannon? <laughs> Pepsi reports next week, buy it because it's been underinvested in and they're going to continue to make strides. Okay, Mr. Weiss. XPO Logistics, staying with it. Yeah, been in that one for a while. All right, John Nigerian. Target stores, Scott, bought it today. Unusual activity just above. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.